0: what you were doing was wrong, but you were going to do it anyways, as long as you thought you weren't getting caught. All right, grab a Bible. You'll want a Bible. I like flipping back and forth in the Bible. That's That's a whole lot better to make sure you're saying the right thing. Just check what the Lord says. So grab a Bible. You'll want one. And we're in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians and the 5th chapter. We've made it all the way to chapter 5. You guys know how we like to do it around here, all the way straight through the Scriptures. Uh, that'll keep us in line as well. So find First Thessalonians chapter five, and while you find that, I want to tell you that at my house I have I have two dogs, and you can you can mark my two dogs in a couple of ways. I have a big dog and I have a little dog. I have a good dog and I have a bad dog. It's true. <laughs> you don't live with him, <laughs> and so and listen, I'm a dog person. Uh, some people know, even like, if I go to your house and you have a dog, I'd long for that puppy to like be all over me. I just love dogs. I'm a dog person. And, and so I, I, I can put up with my bad dog because I, I love my dogs that much. And so, what am I doing? What about it? Oh my goodness, that's, you know people love you when they let you know. Alright, you're just going to leave it? That's, I went the whole time. It's fine. I didn't know. I'd take it off or something. Okay, so listen. So my dogs, I've got this good dog and a bad dog. And my bad dog regularly gets scolded because he's bad. He'll chew things up. He pees on things. He's just not a good dog. And, and so he regularly gets told. I wag my finger in his face. And I tell him he's a bad dog. And then I have this little dog. She's My bad dog, by the way, he's a, he's a Labrador. Big black lab. So seriously overweight it's sad and so he just waddles around doing bad stuff all the time and then I have this little chihuahua and the chihuahua doesn't do bad stuff most of the time she's usually pretty good but every now and then she gets a little wild hair and she'll do something bad another day my chihuahua was out back and our yard is all muddy they're doing construction and so the backyard is all muddy where they tore it up and the little chihuahua gets over in the neighbor's yard and she's barking at some visitors that the neighbors had. She loves the neighbors because the neighbors give her treats. So she likes them, but she didn't want them to have visitors, and she's barking at the visitors. And so I'm out the back door, and I'm yelling. Her name is Dixie, and I'm yelling, and I'm clapping. I don't know why that's supposed to help, but it does. Like I'm snapping at her, and we have like a high deck. So I'm up on the deck yelling at this little chihuahua, get over in the yard, Dixie, get back over here. And she is totally ignoring me. And so I walked through the mud. I was now I'm mad because I'm like walking through the mud to go get the stupid dog and I scooped up the dog and the whole way I'm scolding her in the house and I take her in the house because I think my dogs speak English and so I sat her down and I'm wagging my finger in her face and I'm telling her how bad of I say like, you're a bad dog when I call you come in this house and I'm wagging my finger in her face and when I turn around Marmaduke the big black lap is on his back with his paws up tail between his legs quivering As I'm I'm not yelling at him, I'm yelling at her. She's been the bad one, but I think, so this is my, this is, this is my belief. I don't know that this is right, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. I think Marmaduke, he's just in trouble so much that when I was yelling at her, he just felt like it was probably for him. I don't know if he really knew what he was in trouble for. He just felt like he was in trouble. Here's what I want to tell you. That's what happens with Christians when we come to stuff about the end times, like we're going to talk about today. The truth is that Christians recognize, true Christians recognize that we struggle with sin. And so when we dig into the last days, when we dig into the judgment, it becomes hard for us to decipher sometimes whether that judgment is for us or not because we've done been bad. Right? That's good grammar. We've been bad. We've, we, listen, we've been, we've been doing wrongs. We've been sinful. And so sometimes we read in this judgment, we read about this judgment that is coming and then all of a sudden we start attributing that to ourselves And we're like that dog laying on his back, quivering and tucking his tail, thinking it's for us. And I want to show you something today. We're going to talk about the judgment of the Lord coming. This is part two of last week. Remember last week what we talked about? If you don't, I'll I'll refresh your memory in just a moment. So we're talking about the last days, the end days, the end of times. And look with me. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're in verse 1. Did I give you enough time to find it? All right, here we go. But concerning the times and the seasons... Brethren, you have no need that I write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, So that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. And whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we turn to you and ask you about your word. Father, we don't take this lightly. We recognize that we've we've been allowed into your presence, into your holy throne room by your son Jesus. And So Father, we come boldly into your throne room, but we come reverently recognizing that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we are in awe of you. And God, might I just say for a moment that I don't deserve to be up here to preach your word. I thank you for the call you've put on my life, but Father, I beg you that you would speak this morning and that we would hear from your spirit and that we would encounter you. Father, I pray that your word would would speak to our hearts today. Father, may your word dig deep inside of us and urge us closer to you. Father, I pray that you would just block me from whatever foolishness I would say. And Father, that your words, your truth, that your wisdom would come through. Lord, your word promises that if we lack wisdom, we can ask you and you give liberally. And so we ask you for wisdom about your word. Speak to our hearts, Lord, speak in this congregation, speak in this moment. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, look with me, it starts in verse one, but concerning the times and seasons. The times and seasons of what? Everybody stick with me, remember with me from last week, what did we talk about? Big picture in times, right? And what did we have? Tribu- uh, excuse me, Rapture of the church. right? There's the resurrection. That's of the dead. The resurrection from the dead. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. And then those of us who are alive and remain, we're going to be caught up in the air and we're going to meet with them, those dead saints who've been risen to new life, or not just to new life, but in a new body, to meet the Lord will be risen in a new body. It's a, it's a mystery, Paul said. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And we know that we're going to be caught up in the air. That's the word harpazo. That's the word where us English speakers, we come out with this uh, word rapture. If you don't like the word rapture, if you want to tell me that the word rapture, you can't find rapture in the Bible. Well, you can't find the actual word rapture, but we know what it means. It means the church is going to be taken up. The believers, those who were in Christ, not just Salt and Light Baptists, but the churches and people who believe in Jesus are going to be caught up with the Lord in the air. Everybody shake their head. You get that, right? That was last week. That's the resurrection and the rapture. And after the resurre- resurrection and the rapture, that's the, the big picture of resurrection rapture is right here at the beginning. And then what do we have? Is this period of tribulation. It's the seven-year period that's going to come when God will pour out His wrath on the earth. And it will be a time of judgment. The Bible says it will be a judgment and it'll be, a, it'll be a, a, a time of distress and tribulation like the world has never seen. Like there's never been a nation that has seen how bad it's going to be during this time of the tribulation. And the natural question should happen when we study this. The natural question is, when? When will that happen? And look at what Paul says in 1, Corinthians, uh, excuse me, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Verse 2, for you yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Turn in your Bibles, look over to uh, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 36. Look in your Bibles over at Matthew chapter 24 and verse 36. Matthew 24 and verse 36 and this is Jesus speaking of the same time period and look at what he says. He says, speaking of the tribulation that is coming, speaking of the wrath that the Lord's going to pour out on the earth, he says this, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. No one knows the day. The day, when we say the day, remember the day we're talking about the big picture, the day of the Lord. That's the Lord's judgment that's coming. No one knows that day. You cannot find out. You can't watch, are you ready for me to get serious real early? You can't watch blood moons. Sorry for all you who got all caught up in the blood moon stuff. Anybody remember last year there was like four blood moons and the last blood moon was going to happen on the feast day and the last time that happened was like thousands of years ago and so there must be something big happening. You know what Jesus said? He said, if you can look at the sky and see that it's red and know it's going to storm, how can you not look at the times and and see obviously his return is imminent? It is close. But do you know the date? Do you get to look at the scriptures and go, oh, we're having a blood moon and it's on a feast day, a Jewish feast day, and that means... It doesn't work that way. As a matter of fact, whenever someone says that they know the day I always go well thanks for ruining it for the rest of us. Now I know when it's not. (laughs) You don't know the day. No one knows the day. And Paul said to the church, he said no one knows of that day, that hour, no one knows and you yourselves know perfectly well. I don't need to write to you because you know perfectly well that the day of the Lord is coming as a thief. Now did you notice what you do know? You don't know the day or the hour but what you do know is that he is coming. You can't back away from the fact that you know that he is coming. There's a genius in what the Lord did by not telling us the day or the hour. You ready to get real 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 serious? Because Christians will do what Christians always do. And you tell me I'm wrong if you want, but I know I'm right about this one. Christians have a tendency to toe the line. Don't we? We like to see just how far we can we like to see just how far we can push it without, without crossing over that line. And we prove that regularly in the things that we do or say, or and really what we ought to be doing is we ought to be on our toes rather than towing the line. My my brother and I we used to have bad when I say fights like we didn't fight like like we didn't like wrestle and like have each other in a headlock. No, we were we were in karate and we were we knew how to fight. And so like when we had a fight, we were like fighting position. We're like we're gonna fight each other, and it's like full on kickboxing match. Fight in the front yard. My mom used to like kick us out of the house if we started fighting. She would just say, "Go outside and fight." Her her dad told her to turn the hose on us. <laughs> Anyways, I don't know if she ever really did that. But so we'd go outside and we'd have these knockdown, out fights. Well, we were not supposed to go out and fight like that, like not my parents. We we knew better. Somebody's going to get hurt. We're not supposed to go fight like that. So, so what we would do is we would schedule our fight, and we would we would wait. I'm telling you, this is a true. This is a true story. We, my brother and I, we would wait. And so we knew that my dad was coming home at about 5 o'clock. That's the time. He always came home. And we lived where we lived. There was kind of a hill. And you, for just a split second, you could see his vehicle. And so what we did was we went behind the tree. There was this big, like a big evergreen type tree in the front yard. And we went behind the tree. And it was right by the side of the house. And we told my brother, Matt, me and Chris we're going to fight because we were mad. So we scheduled it. Like, we're going to have this out. We're going to do this. So we're going to go behind the tree. And we're going to fight. And we told Matt, we said, Matt, you go look out. We went, go stand by the fence over there, and you go watch for Dad. And if you see Dad, you warn us if you see his truck coming over the hill. And in that moment, I heard a voice. It could have been a voice from heaven, but it was from the window upstairs. My dad had come home early, and he'd parked his car around the side, and we were directly under the window. And my dad said, what are you looking out for me for? And like, the two kids who were about to have it out and brawl, we looked at each other like, no, what do we do? And my dad came outside, he said, answer the question, what are you looking out for me? Why why are you looking for me? And we just stood there silent, like we didn't really know what to say. And he said, you know, the saddest part of all this is that you knew what you were doing was wrong, but you were going to do it anyways, as long as you thought you weren't getting caught. I think a lot of times Christians forget that we're supposed to be living in light of the fact that our king is returning. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? And the Lord did not tell us the day that he was returning because we're not supposed to be towing the line of what, we're, what we think we can get away with, but rather we should be on our toes because our king is coming back. And we ought to be prepared for him. And so look at what he says here. He says, you don't know the day or the hour. You don't know the time of season. You don't have any reason for me to write to you because you know perfectly well. This is verse two of 1 Thessalonians 5. You know perfectly well that, that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. So verse three, what does he say? For when they say peace and safety, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as, uh, as, uh, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. You see that in verse 3? Did you notice the shift in pronouns? Did you see how we went from you don't have any need that I write to you, church, because you know perfectly well. You know you ought to be behaving. You know the Lord's coming back. You know he's returning. You know he's coming as a thief in the night. He's coming quickly. He's coming imminently. He's coming when you don't expect it. You know that. But look at verse 3. But they, for when they say, peace and safety. When they say, peace and safety. When the world thinks that nothing is going to happen. When the world thinks that nothing is wrong. When the world thinks that all is well. That's when the Lord's going to return. Just like in the days of Noah, that's what we read earlier. That's the scripture that we read earlier, just like in the days of Noah. Remember with Noah that they were, they were marrying each other, they were going on with their life, they were acting as if everything was fine. Noah's over here building this giant ark, but they're going about with life like nothing is going to happen. And then, of course, when the rain started, what happened? Everybody's probably banging on that door saying, let us in. We want in the boat. But it's too late then. You understand what he said here? Look, when they say peace and safety, not you, you know perfectly well. We'll come back to that in a moment. But they, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. Now you need to understand this. Big picture is the day of the Lord. And the, then the, we started that with the resurrection and the rapture. And now we have the seven year time period of tribulation. Will people be saved during the tribulation? yes they will I don't have, I'm not going to have you turn to it but if you wanted to jot it down you could look for yourself in Revelation chapter 7 I want to say verse 12 or 14 but Revelation 7 I know it's there that says this that uh, the elders looked at, at John and, and John was having that vision and he was, seeing, he was seeing heaven and what did he say what did the elders say he said who are these people and John said well you know and what did they say to John these are those who came out of great tribulation and now they're before the Lord to worship the Lord. Listen, in, even in, in tribulation, just like where we ended last week, even in this tribulation period, the Lord is doing what he has always done. He is trying to redeem sinners to come unto himself. But I want you to hear this. For, for the person who says, I'm not going to believe today, when you get into the point of great tribulation, there's no escape. There's no, it's not like you get to say, oh, wait, wait a minute. The rapture happened, the church has disappeared, they're gone. Remember what Jesus said? There's going to be two people grinding at the mill. Remember that? One person's going to be taken, another one's going to be left. There's going to be two people working in the field. One person's going to be taken, another one's going to be left. When the world looks and says, the person that I used to work with, the person that I knew, when they say that pastor that used to warn me that this thing called the rapture was going to happen, and now all these Christian people have, have disappeared. First of all, can I just, can I teach you something for a moment? Can I just put something in perspective for you? You know, that's probably how the Antichrist gets to step on the scene. Have you ever put that together? That, that probably works real well together for him. When the church has disappeared and the world is probably going to be in an uproar because the church is gone. I mean, I just want you to imagine for your neighbors or your friends or your family members that are not saved, one day you just disappeared. From their perspective, life is going on and you're gone somebody's going to come up with an answer for that. And they're going to say, well, I would take, can I, can I get real serious with you? That's part of the reason why I get so angry about this idea when people start trying to talk to me about aliens. I had this one sweet lady. She was wonderfully sweet, Christian woman. She said, well, I think God's so big. He, he, could, have created, he could have created aliens, and they're so far out there we, we wouldn't even know. Well, I want to tell you, one, one problem with that is this. Did Jesus die for aliens? Because I know all of creation groans with pain because of what happened with Adam. Am I right about that? Didn't Paul say that, that all of creation groaned, so did Jesus die for aliens? And on top of that, you mark my words, we're setting the stage. We're setting the stage that if, there's an, if we're raptured, the Antichrist can step forward right now, and what would be a real easy explanation? What does everybody think happens with aliens? They took them, right? That's what aliens do with people. They abduct people, it's the X-Files, right? And so what we have is we've cultured people. We've got them, we've got them so cultured at the idea of some alien and some spaceship that they're so smart. I always like the fact that we think they're so smart they can abduct us, but then we go looking for like one little bit of bacteria on a foreign planet and we think that that's proof of life. Do you understand like how silly that seems? The the contradiction between the two, and what we're going to have is this. I don't know if he'll really claim it's aliens. Please don't walk out here and say, "Pastor Justin said the Antichrist is going to be an alien, or whatever." You. Ca- I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying to you, I'm saying to you that the the church is going to be raptured. It's going to usher in this time of tribulation. It's going to be a great. It's going to be a terrible tribulation, great tribulation such as the world has never seen. And some people are going to fall for the Antichrist's lies. They're going to fall for it so much that they're going to worship an image of him. They're going to take his mark. They're going to take the mark of the beast on their hands or on their foreheads after they've worshipped the image. That's how that actually works, that mark of the beast. Those, some people are looking for some hidden mark of the beast. Like I heard somebody tell me it was like on the monster energy drinks. Like that's the Hebrew symbol for six and it's six, six, six on the monster energy drinks. Well, I, I hate to tell you this, but the Lord, he said it's the mark of the beast. He said it's a mark that you take on your body because you worshipped the beast. You, work at the, you worship the image and then he put the mark on you to prove to everybody you worshipped him. How are you going to convince everybody to do that? The church is taken, and then somebody steps up and says, I've got an answer for you all. But then there will be some people. You ready for this? There are some people that are going to say, I remember that pastor. I remember, I remember Dan, or I remember Sarah. I remember Ann. I remember they told me this. And they're going to believe. In that moment, the church is gone, and they're going to believe. And the Lord is going to save them, but he's not going to pull them out of tribulation. Did you read it? Look, it's in verse 3. I'm in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Notice it's not you, not you, the church. You did escape. They shall not escape. They will go through the persecution that is coming. When they believe in the Lord, I'm going to tell you the truth. If you really want to get in the word, you know what you find? They're going to have their heads chopped off. That's really what it's. I remember a while back when I was a teenager, everybody used to say, we haven't chopped people's heads off in years. And then all of a sudden they started coming out a few years ago. Everybody started chopping people's heads off in other countries. Right? Am I telling the truth? And that's what the Bible says. That's what's going to happen. They're going to have their heads chopped off because they don't worship the, the beast. They're not going to escape the tribulation that is coming. But what I'm trying to show you today is this. Paul says you don't have to go through that. You don't have to, you don't have to get caught off guard. You don't have to wait for the day that the church disappears and then say, oh, wait a minute, I should have believed in him. He really did come for his church. Look, look what he says. I'm in verse 4 now. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who are drunk, get drunk at night. Do you get it? You're not of that crowd. You're, that's exactly what Paul is saying. You're not of them. You're not of the night. It doesn't have to overtake you. You don't have to be, you don't have to be tricked by this. I had a woman come up to me once, she was a mid, I don't know everybody in the building today, so I don't really know what y'all believe, so this is, this is great, I'm just going to just get right with it. You can come see me after church, I'll be at the door and we'll talk scripture all day if you want. But, but this woman came up to me, she was a mid-tribulation rapturist. She believed that, that we would be raptured in the middle of the tribulation. She believed in a tribulation, but she thought that we would be in the middle of it, we would have to, we would have to suffer through some of it. And she came up to me in all seriousness, and this is what she said. Before I tell you this, I want you to turn. I'll give you a prep. You turn in your Bibles to Romans 5 and verse 8, and we'll read 8 through 11. Romans 5, verses 8 through 11. This woman came up to me, and she pointed her finger at me, and she said, What makes you think you're so special that you would not have to suffer at all? And then she said this. She said, What makes you think that Christ would would have to suffer, but that you somehow get out of suffering? And her reasoning was like this. You know, when Jesus said, look, if they hated me, they're going to hate you, right? So her reasoning was, what makes you think that you get out of it, that you don't have to you don't have, to have any, any part of the judgment, that you get out of all the judgment? And she called me an escapist. That's what she said. She said, well, you, you, you believe that you get to escape that. Well, I want you to turn in. You're at Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, and this is what I gave to her. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved for, I'm sorry, from what? We shall be saved from wrath. We shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have, uh, through, excuse me, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Do you understand that? Without us doing anything, let's just explain this real quick. without us doing a thing, Jesus, we sinners, we did nothing, and Jesus was willing to die for us. And if Jesus was willing to die for us when we were nothing but sinners who had done no good, and He was willing to come and redeem us unto Himself. How much more now that we've been redeemed, now that we've been reconciled, how much more will the Lord do for us? And what does he say here? That he will save us from wrath that is to come. I'm not an escapist. I just believe what God told me. And what God told me is that there is a wrath that is reserved for the world. There is a wrath that is coming and it will be poured out on the world in a way that the world has never seen. It's going to be so bad that there will be a time, there's going to come a time when there will be people that will cry out for the rocks to fall on them to kill them. And it won't even happen. There's going to be a time when that men would rather just take their own lives than to have to suffer what is going on. The, the sun's going to be all messed up. The moon's going to be messed up. Yes, the Bible says the moon's going to turn to blood. You're completely right. That doesn't mean it's blood moons. That's, 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 that's a different thing altogether. The, the sun's going to be all messed up. It's going to be burning people up. There'll be people hiding in caves. It'll be so bad people will be hiding in the caves just to get out of the the weird temperature things that are happening. Not to mention the government's going to be going crazy and making you take a mark on yourself or get your head chopped off. The world will be in in total disorder, total chaos. But you don't have to be a part of that. Come back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and read it again. Start there in verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness... You're not in darkness so that what shouldn't happen, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You don't have to be overtaken by the day. My dad, when we were kids, he decided to put in a pool. It was an above-ground pool, but the ground was sloped. And so he had a friend with a bobcat. And he had the friend with a bobcat come over and dig out the hole for the pool, I guess to save money so the pool installers didn't have to do it. And so he digs out this hole for the pool that we're going to put in the backyard. And then you can imagine what happens next because it was right in the middle of summer, it rained. And then it rained some more. And then it rained some more. And this three and a half foot hole in the backyard fills up pretty high with water. I mean, I was like, I remember being up, up over my knees. And my dad did what any good dad would do. He passed that off and said, here's a bucket. And so I went out and I was standing out in the yard with this bucket and I'm bailing the water out of this hole for this pool. And I was to be, to I was angry would be an understatement. I mean I'm pouty mad like throwing this water. out. Of, I mean it's a, this is like 20, I think it's 27 foot round or 30 foot round hole filled up with water and I'm sitting out there with a two gallon mop bucket like trying to bail the water out. It took me all day to bail that water out and I was so irritated and I was making it known how irritated I was and, and we were sitting down for dinner that night and my dad looked at me and said Justin don't you, don't you want to have a pool? And I said well yes. And he said, do you understand that we have to be ready for the people that come to put in the pool? Because if you don't get the water out of the hole, then they're going to come and say, well, we can't put a pool up in the middle of all that water. So if you want, to, if you want the pool, we'll have to be ready for the installers. And then he basically said, shut up and go bail out the water. But, but anyways, but, but, but listen what I'm trying to get, understand what I'm trying to get across to you is this. We want to be prepared for what is coming, for who is coming. And we can be. That's what Paul is saying. You're not of the darkness. You're not of the night. You don't have to sleep. You don't have to be caught off guard. So look at what he says. Pick up with me. We're in verse 8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. You don't have to be caught off guard. You can be ready. How can you be ready? Look at it. First of all, I love what Paul did here. Did you see how he blended two things that are in other books of the Bible? I, I'm not gonna, I was going to have us turn to them, but I don't, I don't want to be here all day holding you to that. But remember when he talked about the armor of God in Ephesians, in Ephesians 6, he talks about the armor of God. And then remember also in 1 Corinthians when he talks about love, he's at, we're in that passage about love, and what's he say? There's faith, hope, and love, and the greatest is love. Do you see how he blended the two of those? Look, you're, you're there in, in verse 8 in 1 Thessalonians, and look what he did. But let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate that armor we're going to put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation see it faith hope and love mixed in right there with this armor of God and what's that armor supposed to do what does an armor do when you if somebody was putting on armor what are they doing they're preparing themselves for a battle right is that not exactly what Paul is trying to tell us we are to be prepared for the day that is to come and how do you get prepared first of all put on the breastplate of faith What's that part that's gonna protect your vital organs? What's the part that's gonna protect your heart? What's the first step for you to be prepared for the day that is coming? Everybody needs to hear this. It is faith. There is one way of salvation. It is by faith and faith alone. It is not by works because if it was by works, then what would you do? What would I do? We would boast. It can't be by works lest any man would boast. That's Ephesians chapter two if you wanna go check me. Faith is the only way of salvation. If you have the mentality that the way for you to be ready for the tribulation is coming, you ready for me to do it again? I'm going to do it again. If you're ready by getting yourself a bunker, you messed up. If you're ready because you've got two years worth, or three and a half years, or seven years worth of bottled water, you messed up. There's a way to be prepared for the day that is coming and having enough bottled water. I know, I know some of y'all gonna get mad at me right now, but I'm right. A bomb shelter does not make you ready. Faith in Christ makes you ready because faith in Christ means what? I'm saved. And if I'm saved, then this day, this day of the Lord, it's not mine. it's not for me. It's not a day for me. It's for them. They are overtaken by the day, but I'm not overtaken by that day. Why? Because I knew, I knew it was coming. And how do I prepare? Number one, I prepare by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Son of God who came to this earth and lived a perfect life. He never sinned. And yet, he who never sinned died a sinner's death for you and me. That's what he did for us. He died for us. He took our sins upon himself and he died for us. And then three days later, he rose from the grave. And the Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you shall be saved. He doesn't say that you're supposed to work in the church and then you'll be saved. That you're supposed to say a prayer and then you'll be saved. Uh, listen, I love praying with people to be saved. Please don't mis- misrepresent that. I'm, I'm not getting on people for, for having a, a prayer to lead people to salvation. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying to you is this, that there's no magic words. There's no magic beans here. You get what I mean? Like I can't say, like say these say these words over and over. Rub these beads, light this candle, go get in the water and now you're saved. There's one way to be saved. You want to be prepared for the day that's coming, be saved. Put your trust in Jesus who is the Christ who died for you and rose for you and if you believe in him, he saves you from wrath that is to come. As a matter of fact, I want to show that to you. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians still. We're in 1 Thessalonians. Look at verse 8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. Verse 9. For God did not appoint us to wrath. Huh. Right there in the text he says he did not make this for us. You do not have to go through this. You are not appointed to this. God does not want you in the tribulation. Did you know that? Did you know the Bible says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked? You've realized God's not up in heaven going, I'm going to get them. Well, that's it. They're getting it now. Too late. <laughs> they got a day left. Now the Bible says that the Lord takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but he wants the wicked to turn from their evil ways. And he's given us a way to do that. It's faith in his son. By the way, I got to keep moving. Look, look at what else he says. By faith and then what? Put on the breastplate of of faith and then love. Still in that same breastplate, he says, put on faith and then love. I want you to hear this. Everybody needs to hear this. When you are saved by faith in Christ, it leads you to a new life. It is a changed life. And everyone needs to know this. When you believe in Christ, what he changes you to is to be able to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Without, remember Jesus said that's the greatest commandment, right? They said, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, you already know that. What is it? To love the Lord your heart with all your soul, with all your your mind, with all your strength. And second to that is what? To love your neighbor as yourself. Whether we want to admit it or not, without Christ, we are incapable of loving God. We love him because he loved us first. We don't, we don't naturally turn to God. I watched this little Facebook video earlier today and it's of all these kids that are like straight line to their parents. They're like eating a cookie and like there's cookie crumbs all over their lips and then some mom pulled out a cell phone and she's like, did you eat a cookie? And the kid's like with cookie crumbs, like no. Why don't you ever have to train a child to do what is wrong? Because we're naturally bent to do that which is wrong. We're naturally sinful. We don't of ourselves, we don't turn to God. But God loved us so much and in his infinite wisdom, knowing that we would never turn to him, he first came to us and he came to us in the person of Jesus. And Jesus died for us and we can put our faith in him. And when you do put your faith in him, this is what the church is missing. He changes you. Yes, come as you are. You're supposed to come as you are. He doesn't expect you to get clean and then then somehow because you're clean now you get God. It doesn't go that way. You get God and then you get clean. When you put your faith in Christ, he starts to clean you and he gives you the ability to do something you've never been able to do before. You all of a sudden, you love him because you realize what he's done for you. You realize what he saved you from. You who were headed for hell, he pulled you out of that. You who were headed for great tribulation and didn't even know it, he saved you from that. He saved you from that wrath and he took your punishment upon himself. And then what did he say to us? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Not only are we able to love God, but I want to say something else. We're able to love each other. When you get saved, we're not normally human beings. We're like this one or not. We're not normally unselfish people. We're pretty selfish. But the Lord said that that they'll be able to tell you're my disciples. How? By the way, that you love each other. And number three, I want to give you one more. Not only do we love the Lord and love each other, but we love a lost world. We love and forgive a lost world because we who have been forgiven much, we're supposed to forgive. And so we, put our, we, are, we now have a love for those. We see these who do not know Christ, and we're not angry at them for not knowing Christ. We love them, and we want to introduce them to this Jesus that has saved us. And look, one more, and then I'll wrap up with this last one. Just look what he says. We're supposed to put on, I'm in verse 8, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. You see that? Starts with faith. He changes us to love. And what do we have to hang on to? Is the hope of salvation. That is not a hope like I bought a lottery ticket and I sure hope I win. That's not what that means by hope. That hope is a sure hope. I know He is going to return. I know that He is coming again. And I know that when He does and He comes again, day of the Lord, big picture, I know that I'm going in that rapture. I've been prepared. I have the hope of salvation. It doesn't seem like if I was to stand up here today and tell you that you were going through the tribulation, that it was going to happen and there's nothing you can do about it, judgment is coming and you will face it and there will be seven years of, of, excuse my language, but there's going to be seven years of hell on earth, literally. and It's going to be awful. And you don't want to be any part of that, but you don't have any choice because you're stuck. And if you're in the last days, you're going through that. How is that hope? Where's the hope in that? I don't find hope in telling someone that that they would have to suffer through great tribulation like the world has ever known. Instead, I know this. Jesus said, I didn't make you for that. I didn't reserve you for that. I want to save you from it. Now, some won't believe. Some will turn away. Dan read for us earlier that in the last days there's going to be scoffers and they're going to go on. They're going to say, life has gone on all this time. Where's where's your Lord? How come he hasn't come back? And why is that? Because when they call peace and safety, that's when tribulation is going to strike, when they're not ready for it. But you and I... We can be ready. How can we be ready? By putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and we have the hope of salvation. A hope of a Jesus who died for us and rose for us. And if we believe in him, he saves us. I want to close where we started today with that scripture reading. You can turn if you want to, but it's in first second Peter chapter three and verse nine. Second Peter chapter three and verse nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us. Not not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is what the Lord has always wanted, and that's what he wants from you even right now today. We're closing the service now, but here's the truth. If you don't know Christ, I don't know everybody in the building. If you've never put your, your, your trust in Christ, if you've never put your faith in him as the Savior who died for you and rose for you, then you're headed for tribulation. You are headed for hell. But Christ says, I don't want you to go there. I want you with me. I want to bring you with me. I want to give you a white robe. I want to give you a new name. I want to give you a new life. It's a different life than what you used to have. And if you'll believe in him, that's what he does for you. And that's what I want to invite you to do as we close the service today. If you don't know him, please don't leave this place today not knowing that you are safe in his arms. Let's all stand together and we'll go to the Lord in prayer.